statisticians talk about probability. So if I toss a coin, the probability of tossing heads is 50%, because 50% of the time it would be tails and 50% of the time it would be heads. If I toss two coins, the probability of tossing two heads is 25%, or one in four. The reason is, if we look at those two tosses, we could have got four combinations. We could have got a heads, then a tails. We could have got a tails, then a head. We could have got two tails, or we could have got two heads. Out of those four combinations, one of them is two heads. In other words, one in four, 25%, is the probability. But if I toss a coin once, what's the probability of me, and I'll get a heads, what's the probability of me tossing another heads? Well, the probability is 50%. So the probability depends on whether we look at the current, the moment of the toss, or we take in the whole history and the whole the whole sequence of events. It's similar to our two universes, the one which looks includes time, the physical universe, and what I call the mystical, the ephemeral universe, which is in the moment. A lot of what passes for science is actually statistics. It's not real understanding. When you look at statistical probabilities, you're looking at correlations, but it doesn't tell you why something happens. So we know, for instance, that if you have certain genes, you're more likely to get certain diseases. But it doesn't answer the question as to why person A gets the disease and person B doesn't, even when they both got the gene. We all know of people who smoke heavily and they live to an old age and they're in perfect health. And we probably know of people who, you know, get lung cancer and even die and they've never touched a cigarette in their life. We know that there's a correlation, or we're told there's a correlation between smoking and cancer, but it doesn't tell us why a particular person gets cancer and somebody else doesn't. And this is what doing statistics misses. It misses the real understanding and substitutes a kind of pseudo-understanding. Atheists talk about chance and probability and this is really their god in the sense that they use that to explain forces that they can't explain by any other means and they use statistics as their theology and if you were to try and use any other theology they would come down on you very hard. Now I want to go sideways here slightly and talk about the mind and body and the effect how this relates to the two universes, the one with time and the one without time. In medicine, there's something called the placebo effect. The placebo effect, say with pills, is a pill that's uh, 
physically inactive. But when you take it, you're told or you're, you're maybe led to believe that it will bring about certain properties. For instance, it might reduce the pain or cure certain problems. When new pills are evaluated, they are compared to placebo pills. The reason being that placebo effect is very powerful. Now there's a lot of evidence that antidepressants are no better than placebos. That doesn't mean that they don't do anything. It means that they're no better than a placebo. It's not quite the same thing. There's a lot of evidence that even surgeries are largely due to placebo effects. Uh, there was a 2014 review of 53 trials that compared elective surgeries to placebos and found that the placebos provided benefit in 74% of the trials. And Dr. Ian Harris has written a book called Surgery, the Ultimate Placebo. And in there he lays the claim, that he's a surgeon, but he lays the claim that most uh, surgeries are actually work through the placebo effect. I know my father had um, an and, uh, heart bypass for angina and it was very effective until after he died the surgeon confessed that he didn't actually do the operation. It was purely a placebo effect. Now one of the properties of the placebo effect is that it works in most cases even if you're aware that it's a placebo. Now, this is completely counterintuitive, but if I was to give somebody a green pill and say, look, take this pill at night and you'll sleep better, um, and it's a placebo, they will still sleep better just by taking the pill. Evidence is around that the placebo effect is actually increasing. It's more powerful now than it used to be. The interesting thing about placebos is they work on the interaction of the mind and body. This is something that people who are conventionally trained in medicine find very difficult to get around because they're trained, Western medicine trains doctors to deal with the body as a machine. It's a mechanical process. It follows the laws of cause and effect. Now, Eastern medicine adopts a more holistic, what's called a holistic approach. There's a mind and there's a body. There isn't just disease or there isn't just problems. There's certain imbalances that bring about certain effects. In a way, what doctors are dealing with is purely statistics. The body is like a black box. They know statistically that if there's a certain uh, response, then they can say that this is the cause. So the mind-body interface or interaction is really analogous, or I would say it is part of, the parallel worlds that we we're talking about, or rather the worlds at 90 degrees to each other. The body is the physical. The mind is in this ephemeral plane. And we can look at responses. For instance, we can look at somebody and we can measure 
a rise in adrenaline, we can see certain effects happening. We could even get it back to certain changes in brainwave patterns when they are um, fearful. But the actual fear is something in the mind. You know, people can be fearful of, of anything due to previous encounters. If they had a very bad encounter when they're growing up on a particular chair, for instance, and they walk into a room and there's a chair that brings them back into that state, they can be extremely fearful. And we can look at the effects of the fear but the causes of it lie in the mind. There's a story, uh, an ancient story, of an ant that's trying to understand the world. And I previously used the metaphor of the ant in the building. And the ant comes across something that's being written. And they go onto the page and they can see ink being deposited on paper. And some intrepid ant might find that there's actually a pen. And an even more intrepid ant might climb the pen and find that it's controlled by a hand and so on and so on and so on. But the mind that's producing the words, of course, is totally outside of the realm of comprehension of the ant. They can only see effects, they can't see causes. And in a way they're a bit like the medical profession. And what's interesting about the placebo, of course, is that it cuts through this. Hypnosis too cuts through this mind-body interface. Using hypnosis we can completely cut somebody off from pain and there's operations, even painful operations like hernia operations that have been done purely using hypnosis with no anaesthetic. I remember many years ago I was mugged and two people came up and one had a baseball bat and he was hitting me overhead, over the head with the baseball bat and I could feel the baseball bat come down on my head but there was absolutely no pain. As it happens I fought them off. And um, although I could feel it wasn't an anaesthetized, I didn't feel the pain. In fact, I didn't feel any pain until I went into the hospital and the nurse started putting stitches in. It seems odd to me that the medical profession have never been able to exploit this. They give things that deaden, um, but they can't give anything that purely cuts out pain but keeps mental faculties and sensation completely intact, which is what happened to me. Now, the alternative view, rather than seeing the body purely as a machine, is to see it in this other dimensional way of a pattern. That it's a metaphor, everything in the body is a representation of something in a different dimension. The philosopher, the Greek philosopher Socrates, told a story of the shadows in the cave. 
In what is called the allegory of the cave, he talks about people who have been chained up so that they face the wall of a cave. And behind them is a fire. And what they see on the wall are shadows of something that's taking place in reality. And he talks about our world as being like this. Now this is in one sense, he's talking about what they're seeing as shadows is a two-dimensional image of a three-dimensional action. And what I'm talking about in my podcast here is that we're experiencing a three or three and a half dimensional experience or something that extends into six, seven or even more dimensions. So the allegory is very real. Now, how this relates to the body is that the body exists in many dimensions. What we see of the body and what we deal with as the body is a three-dimensional representation of something that exists in other dimensions. And these other dimensions affect the body. And of course the mind, as I've talked about previously, exists in a fifth dimension and therefore the body and the mind are related in other dimensions. Chinese and what we call alternative medicine, of course, has a better handle on this than conventional medicine. You see, I've talked in the past about the the physical component and what we might call the imaginary component and we can take different aspects of each one. I talked about this in relation to money for instance. The same thing applies to the body. We can see the body as a machine and to a certain extent you're going to get results but you're ignoring this other facet of the body which is non-mechanical and exists in alternative dimensions. It's worth noting that as well as the placebo effect, which causes a beneficial effect from taking a pill or some other process, there's something called the nocebo effect, which does the opposite. In 1964, the Surgeon General in America produced a report which made clear a correlation between smoking and cancer and this set the tone for what for what we have nowadays which is that smoking is considered evil and so on. What was interesting is that cancer rates actually went up after that report and nowadays and many um, packets of cigarettes in Australia for instance they would give you graphic photos and descriptions of the effects of smoking the the effect of this is the nocebo effect it almost like hypnotizes people into getting ill Dr. Rupert Sheldrake Oxford University in England postulates that everything has a consciousness the earth, the sun, planets, galaxies and so on all have consciousness as well as the mundane things that we come across in the world. 
the human body is almost like the ultimate in expressing this consciousness. Now there's something that the Chinese medical community calls qi, and qi is a life force. There's many aspects to qi. You can have more of it, you can have less of it, and you can have balance and unbalanced qi because there's a, a, a masculine and a feminine, a yin and a yang dimension to the qi. The qi energy is dismissed by Western doctors because they're unable to measure it or see it. In the same way as I've talked previously about colorblind people who would be unaware of color. But qi is very real. And the strange thing is that it's, when cosmologists talk about dark matter, uh, which they're unable to measure or, or see, uh, it's quite obvious that this is really the same as qi energy. When qi energy is high, we feel alive. We're vibrant. When it's low, we feel dead. And mental state will bring about a rise or a falling of qi energy. In fact, bipolar, which I used to call manic depression, when it's extreme, cycles through this high energy of euphoria and often related to mysticism where people get divine insights and so on and then they come crashing down and they are drained and they go into the depressed state. Well of course nowadays doctors will give you a pill and it stops the lows but it also stops the highs. And the chi energy of course is back to this relationship of the mind and body. If we get depressed we go into low chi, but we can also have low chi or high chi depending on exercise and how much we eat and what kinds of foods we eat and so on. Now one thing that people aren't really aware of is how close physical contact with other people affects your thoughts. You see, we all pick up thoughts and vibes from other people and at other places. Uh, there are some places that would drain your, your energy and um, there are other places that would give you very high energy. In various cultures there are places that are perceived to have mystical properties. Uh, Uluru, for instance, is one of them. There's extremely high energy that comes about there. And there's places that can cause very negative, what we might call feminine, feminine yin properties in people. And also, as I alluded to, interacting with other people. If you spend time with depressed people, you will pick up their depressed thoughts, you will start to become depressed yourself. One of the attributes of living in cities and apartment blocks is people live in close proximity to each other and they start picking up on the vibes 
the thoughts and the moods of other people. This is why governments like people to live in cities, because they're very easy to control. You look at a place like Singapore, and the people are uh, very easily controlled, and because they all live in apartments and they all live on top of each other. China is moving people into cities and out of the country because they're easier to control. Thank you for listening. You can leave comments on my Podbeam page. You can email me, phil at braham.net. You can visit my website, podcasts.braham.net. And I hope to hear back from you. Thank you.